when I'm not drinking bourbon or writing blues songs. I listen to the Sean Geek Podcast over on seanmcginnity.ca and you should too. Hey, man, how you doing? Okay, I guess. Uh, I got my uh, I got my brother here, Todd. He's uh, part of the show. He's also uh, another fellow musician like myself. Fantastic. Hello. Hello, Todd. Hi. Todd's the uh, the tech the tech guy of the band, the tech guy of the show, uh, <laughs> the, the engineer, I guess. <laughs> The background guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of setup do you got it for um, for recording there right now, Lee? Oh, um, well, I'm using a uh, um, a Macintosh um, laptop computer. Okay. And I am running Pro Tools software. <laughs> Are you recording this? Uh, right now I'm not no it's all okay <laughs> uh, can you, guys, you guys see me right now no we can't no, no. no how do I make that happen um how's that oh, oh, oh there you go up. there you are yeah I found it was muted so oh there you go if I turn my camera around maybe you can see my setup oh nice nice so I've got a uh, Macintosh uh, laptop uh, like I said, running a Pro Tools software. I'm using a, a, um, a MIDI uh, keyboard controller yep. to access my virtual instruments. And um, for an analog, for a microphone interface, I've got an older legacy model Steinberger two-channel input USB interface. It's a little okay. white. And uh, this. Bass. This is an ADA vintage bass preamp. I love it. This thing is a super. So I'm using this to uh, distort my vocals and try different things like that. So it's pretty cool. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that's because you always you always have a neat effect on the vocals and stuff. So I was like wondering try, how you got that. Yeah, like I like to try and. Um, well, I mean, as a as a producer myself, um, you know, post production, there's so much that you can do now. Um, in with uh, with uh, digital um, mixing, that um, it sure is fun to be able to find something that's old analog and run it before the input and and um, get some great effects to tape instead of post production. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, I'm trying to have some fun with that. I mean, you know, it's like we're isolated right now and. Um, this isn't my regular uh, studio setup. This is just my pandemic bedroom studio. <laughs> <laughs> that works. It is. You, you've got something. 
you know, just like people uh, when they talk about um, working from home and where they're um, they have the luxury of being able to just wake up, brush their teeth, sit down and go to work. <laughs> uh, it's kind of fun to be able to just wake up, sit down at the end of my bed and bring up a mix, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it's nice. It's nice to be able to do that. I actually, uh, I got a, I don't know if I can, fl- I can't flip my computer around here, but I got, <laughs> um, I got a work set up. Uh, I work in transportation, so I got a work set up and uh, purely uh, selfish for selfish reasons. I set this up so I can have my studio at home too. So I'm yeah. using my, my work gear. I got the triple monitor set up. Nice. So I can have my mixing board in the, in the middle. Um, and then I can have, you know, like lyrics or whatever on the side or, or notes about the song and uh, slowly developing mine into a studio. But we usually, Todd and I usually use his, like Todd's the, uh, he's the guy that produced our CD that we put out. Oh my, no. uh, here's Todd's setup. You can see it's kind of, are, uh, are those whoops. real those powered NS10s or um, yeah, NS8s. Yeah. The NS8s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of messy over there. But yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I bet the big monitor. That's when I'm doing my mixing. I can actually see what I'm doing. So cool. My daughter's down here. <laughs> How old is you wanna, uh, She. This one is uh, five. Do you want to come say hi? No. Okay. She doesn't want to say hi. She's actually, um, she's taking piano lessons now. Good for which, her. Which, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. If my kids can have, like, a, a grain of musical talent, uh, that's good enough for me. My daughter is currently 11 years old, and she's been taking piano since she was, I guess, somewhere around four. Oh, so, sweet. Okay, good. And she's, she's better than I am now. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm really looking to see you know um just how far they take it because um, there's always that moment where um you know your parents are putting you into lessons and you know you're you like it at first and then you you become um out of the toddler stage into you know young adult stage and you want to get out and be with your friends and you don't want to play piano and yeah but my you know, so there's that, that that moment where you have to, you know, keep, you got to push it a little bit. And then uh, my son, who's 21 now, um, he has gone past that point. Uh, and now piano is something that he really enjoys. And it's something that he goes to. It's his own thing. He's been working on it all his life. And, and uh, you know, he can, he can sight read and play you know, music from the greats just by looking at, I wish I could do that. I wish I could throw up a score and just play it, you know, and he yeah, can yeah. do it. it is. It's amazing to see someone actually do that. That's, that's a, okay. You're going to come, come say hi. Unlikely you notice, but when you sleep. 
Gonna come, come say hi. Come say hi. Come say hi. Come say hi. Okay. Okay. Here, put this in your ear so you can talk. Hi. 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 I hear you playing piano. Yeah. That's fantastic. Are you using an, uh, a real piano or a digital piano? A real piano. Yeah, yeah. Jason has a real one. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. You're going to wear your glasses? All right, put your glasses on. Oh, what kind of glasses you got? Oh, they're cool. <laughs> no there you go. All right, well, you got to go to bed, right? Right? I can't touch my eyes. <laughs> they're not real glasses. Okay, why don't you go to bed? Dad's going to finish this up. Okay? Go, out, go, go be nice to mom. Okay? Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I can imagine. I can imagine trying to find time to uh, to do these in the evenings. Yeah, well, I usually set it up for nine, but um, the kids just discovered Lego video games. Oh, right. Two, yeah. two, ni- two nights ago. So <laughs> so they've been playing have, the last two nights. Played. What's that, Todd? So you haven't been playing the last couple of nights, I guess. Uh, and no, and they've been staying up late playing. They're... Um, my wife and I are avid video gamers, uh, so naturally, they're taking to it. So You're just like me, man. Um, <laughs> my wife, Tracy, and I, we, same thing, when we were dating, it was like, well, we're PlayStation freaks, so, you know, oh, we're okay. not, you know, we weren't Xbox, we weren't uh, um, computer-based games, we were console gamers, and we were totally into PlayStation. We, I remember when we bought the first PlayStation and it came like number with, one, like number one. Yes, it came with Croc. Oh my God! <laughs> and, 
and it was like <laughs> um, to buy a video game for the PS One was sixty nine ninety nine. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot uh, of money back then, expensive. man. Yeah. And it, and we still have, I still have all the systems. Some of them don't work as well as they used to. Um, um, sometimes if I go to the if I if I'm surfing through the pawn shops and I see an old PS One or an old PS Two. They're going for like thirty nine dollars. I'll just grab it, you know, because it's yeah. worth. But yeah, same thing. It's like uh, Tracy was all about uh, Final Fantasy. Oh God, yeah. But uh, every Final Fantasy game, we've got them all. Anyway, so yeah, video games. Yeah, I know video games, and yeah, my kids play them now too. And and in regards to the Lego games, those are actually really good games. Oh, they're they're amazing. I think I have most of them by yeah. this point, but. My daughter was doing uh, um, Harry Potter mm-hmm. and a couple of years ago. That interactive Lego game came out where you can get the little figures and they come with the little chips that you stick on the bottom of them. Oh, how was that? Do you you have that one? You have it. It was super awesome. Man. What's it called again? Camera oh, was called. I, I remember. Yeah, I know that. I know the one you mean. I, I never. That's that's kind of where I tapped out on the Lego games. I was like. Yeah. It gets really cool if you get into that because then all of a sudden um, you can have up to four players on the screen at once. Um, the characters are ridiculous, like um, Doctor Who. Oh, nice. Anyway, <laughs> Big Doctor Who fan here. Yeah, yeah, us too. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, we didn't introduce the show or we didn't introduce the guest, so in case you guys <laughs> haven't figured out, this is the Sean Geek Podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I got my brother, Fast Fret Fingers, as he's called, and uh, I've got Lee Filbert from a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff, yeah. Tell me in uh, in brief, what where did you, what's your music background? Where did you come from? What are you doing? Oh, jeez. Where did I come from? Is Bucket Hitch the first thing? Oh, no, actually. Even before that, um, back in... I can't even remember how long ago uh, or what year it was, but let's say the Blue Meanies. Do we remember the Blue Meanies? Yes, we do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm talk- before the New Meanies. I'm yes, about- it was the Blue Meanies, yeah. Now, um, Damon Mitchell, the lead singer. Yeah, yeah. And um, Sky Honison, the bass player. Yep. And um, they had a house on Warsaw in... Um, <clears throat> Off Corden Avenue. Yeah, I know where Warsaw. That's where our cousin lives, actually, and right yeah. on Warsaw. Yeah. So they had a, a house at 706 Warsaw. It was a rental, and you know they were doing the whole everyone's chipping in and paying rent. And um, I started jamming with Pat Wright. Pat Wright used yeah. to play all the King's Men was the last thing he was doing in Winnipeg, and and three PM. Pat, okay, so I have a question about Pat Wright. Pat Wright, was he not the bass player for Gin Taxi at some point, too? Is that the same guy? Um, I'm not too sure. Maybe so. I'm not too sure. I mean, he moved away from Winnipeg decade, over a decade ago and, you know, comes in, I guess, to see family during holiday. Uh, we kind of uh, don't speak as much as we used to. But anyway, that's where it all started for me. I think uh, um, I met Pat because he was living with the guys from the New Meanies. Oh, so Pat was living with those guys. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. So, so Pat was living with Damon and Sky, and I just met him at like a 
house party after the nightclub at 3 a.m. And um, said, which hey, nightclub? Which nightclub? Let's date well, ourselves here. And it was. I think we're the same age, so. Yeah, it was the Albert. It was draft night. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah after, draft night. So after a draft night, people would go down to. Um, um, there was Bobby G's. There was no, no, no. It was Bobby um, G's. <laughs> uh, there, there was a house on Morley, and it was a party house. Okay. And, and I used to go there, and I met Pat at this party, and Pat said, hey, we should get together and jam, because I told him I was a bass player. And then, uh, so I went and met him at, at uh, 706 Warsaw, where the, he was living with the, the guys from the New Meanies, and we started jamming together. And that's where it all started. Like, me and Pat spent hours and hours cooped up in his bedroom, him on the guitar, me on the bass, just writing, writing music, writing, playing. Because so, you know, so what, what, what year do you think this was? Like, how old were you? Do you remember? I was probably around nineteen, twenty years old. So was this like pre nineteen ninety ish? Yeah, it was probably just around nineteen. Oh, jeez, yeah, probably like nineteen ninety, ninety one. Um, so other. Okay, so this is before the new minis actually were a thing, right? They were a thing. They were a local thing. It was cool. Okay. There, um, other bands that were playing at the time were like Bent Out of Shape with... Uh, oh, but yeah, I know. The, yeah, so very familiar. I mean, the, the local music scene was just... It was so cool back then. I wish well, it I'm, was... Okay, so I moved here in 90... It was either 90... Winter of 90... Uh, winter of 90 and 91. So that's why I'm trying to get a kind of a, a, a reference here. Because yeah. when I moved here, I went, I didn't know anybody, didn't know anything. I went downtown, or what I thought was downtown, because I'm not from here. Yeah. And I walked by the Pyramid Cabaret, and I was just walking downtown, because like, oh my God, I'm a small town boy. And I walked by the Pyramid Cabaret, and I heard music playing. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I went, bought a ticket, walked in, and it was the Blue Meanies. That was my first Winnipeg experience. Wow, that's that's pretty that's, darn good. And that was like 1991. So that's and what I was trying to get a timeline here. Yeah, so it was probably shortly before that because it was before they released anything. All they had was their cassette tape. Everybody was doing cassette okay. back then. So Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it was it was cassette tape demos. And I can't remember the name of the first uh, new music that I think I still have it somewhere. But um, so then me and Pat, we... Um, formed a band and we called it Squash S-Q-U-A-S-H and it was a trio Um, he was on guitar I was on bass and we had a couple drummers that we went through Um, and um, we put together at the same time as the Meanies were doing their demo with um, Chris Brett so that first full length one yeah the first full length one that they yeah, did. Okay. Yeah. We were in the basement making our own little demo on a six track, and uh, we actually not even a four track, but you had a six track. Whoa! It was made by Dan Sui. Okay. It was, it like it was actually pretty cool. Japan. So we we produced a, an album on a six track with um I can't remember the name remember now date. God, I'm stupid. I should know. But anyway, I do still have the album. We called the album "For Instance." Okay. So it was "Squash," for instance, and <laughs> uh, and I still have that album. And um, 
if I can obtain my hard drive um, and find it, I'll I'll definitely uh, shoot it your way. Oh man, I'd love to hear that stuff. Well, we were we were into the police. We were into um, I was into um, funk in a big way at that time. So it was a really weird twist because Pat was more into blues rock and um, um, geez, what's his name again? Um, but he was, yeah, like it was more of a blues rock house because the meanies were about the blues rock. Oh yeah. So, um, but I was a, a geek from the North end and I was into funk. I was into Primus. I was into, um, uh, boot sauce. Oh yeah. Boot sauce. Oh man. Yeah. There we go. So I was into that slap and pop funk bass. Uh, what was weird about squash, it became this amalgamation of um, my influences in funk and Pat's interest in influences in blues rock. And then both of us were lead singers. So the band actually didn't really have a lead singer. We both sang harmonies for everything. Oh, so man, that's cool. It was, it was, a, it was, it was a vocal-based band. Um, I'll get you the recording and and uh, when you listen to the songs, it's a it's it's vocal dominant with all this amazing playing underneath. It's quite a quite an interesting sound and yeah, it started off as um, Spider Band wasn't even a band. It was just it was volume. Now volume yeah. volume was an instrumental band and it um, had like six members: two bass players, two guitar players. Um, Bob Phillip on keys, Chris yep. Emery drums, and they were they were an instrumental band, and they had their own. They were just jamming in the basement. It was more of a weekend thing, and they called themselves Volume, and they just jammed instrumentally, and they made all these songs, and they didn't really ever record anything except for maybe pressing play on a ghetto blaster or something. And then one day they decided they used to play around with the original music from the spider-man cartoon yeah and so the, so what so okay so I, I gotta ask you here because i i've listened to cd a gazillion times cool um so were they playing spider-man music first or was yeah. it just okay they were just jamming in the basement and chris used to have spider-man episodes on vhs and <laughs> like the original cartoon and uh I, I think that shit's bootleg, man. Yeah, <laughs> back and, then. And they, yeah, and uh, they used to learn the songs and they jammed them out. And then, and then all of a sudden, the the release of the new Spider-Man movie, um, produced by Sammy, I believe it was. Yep. It was coming out, and Chris thought, "Oh my goodness, he should go to the studio and record one of the Spider-Man songs." we have and um because you, the world is all into spider-man right now and it was a kind of a, a, a cool idea so he contacted me because i was a um, studio engineer i still am but at the time i was studio engineering it's uh at a couple studios in winnipeg
the world is all into Spider-Man right now. And it was a, kind of a, a, a cool idea. So he contacted me because I was a um, studio engineer. I still am. But at the time, I was studio engineering at, uh, at a couple studios in Winnipeg. I want you to record. I took volume studio and we recorded the, the, the one track on that CD called Tribute Spider-Man. Yep. The big one. Yeah, yeah, the big one, yeah. The big one. That was that that recording is that was the first recording that Volume ever did. Packed them into a room and we just did it live off the floor. And me and Chris spent the next couple months mixing it down on Pro Tools LE, like the first version <laughs> Pro Tools. It's like it was Pro Tools was finally released on Mac as LE and it blew me away. It's like I remember you had to like sample your processing before you could actually uh, render it like it was hard to do but we did it and we we mixed that whole song on pro tools le and uh after that um released he released it on local radio he sent a copy to of that of that track of that track yeah okay now um it got a lot of recognition because the spider-man was just this new booming thing that was happening and uh um, Chris decided, you know what, I'm going to contact Ray Ellis. I, so let, let, let me explain to Todd. Todd Todd's the, the, the less nerdy of the two of us here. So okay. Ray Ellis was the original, and uh, he was the original composer uh, yeah. of the Spider-Man cartoon. So he composed all the music that was on that show. Yeah. Yeah, so Ray Ellis was like, it, it was a genius. Like, he, he composed all that Spider-Man music, which yeah. I'm a huge fan of. And the band I was in at the time, we used to play this shit all the time in our basement. Me and Dan, Todd. We used to jam right. the Spider-Man songs all the time. And we saw a poster for the amazing Spider-Man playing. I, I think it was at Ozzy's. I don't think it was at the zoo, but I think it was at Ozzy's. Is that Downstairs. one right? Downstairs. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, okay, there's no way this is a real thing. This is probably a joke. Let's just go check it out. And this is the first time I, I saw you guys. Yeah. That was... It was, you know, that whole Spider-Man project just, it just unfolded on its own. Um, um, it was Chris and I after we mixed the so uh, Chris, the drummer, right? Chris Emery, right? Yes, right. Chris, and he was the leader of the band in regards to finance and ideas. And um, and uh, after we recorded that song, we realized how much it cost us in studio time. Chris said, "Well, why don't we?" Buy our own Pro Tool. So we went to, at the time, it was like $4,000 for a Mac G4. And uh, we oh, just went, Jesus. <laughs> it was crazy. So we went, it was like 256 megabytes of RAM, $4,000. <laughs> <laughs> to Long quick and um, he bought a G4 computer, Pro Tools LE, and we took it home, put, set it up in his basement, and we recorded the rest of the Spider-Man songs over the next couple months with Alfie and Bob and myself and um, a couple other members who are uh, at the time, Chris on drums. And after we finished it, Chris wanted to ask permission if we could release these songs because they do belong to Ray Ellis. So, do, so they do. So he actually has ownership of, of that music yes um and chris and bob flew out 
I can't remember where it was, L.A. or wherever. Um, they flew out to meet Ray Ellis' son. Bring the music out there. Can we re- what do you guys think of us releasing? They were blowing. That's all they said. Hey, give us 3% and you guys can use the music. And Unbelievable. We so we were legally obligated to release it. We didn't really do anything other than a thousand copies on CD Baby. Yeah. And uh, and we released a thousand copies on CD Baby. We gave half of them away. So that's that, that's what became of the Spider Man album. That's that's how that it, it became. And after that, I was doing Albatross and my personal music that I was doing at home. And I was playing it to Chris, and Chris went, "Man, you are such a good singer." I was like, "Well, I don't know. I, I guess so." And he said, "You know what?" Volume should have a singer because an instrumental band is very difficult to shop. It's very Hell difficult. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, you know, it's very difficult to be an instrumental band and get anything done. So they're like, you know, why don't you come sing? And I was like, okay. So we just started jamming. And so I, I have a question. So at, like at the time, like Bob, Bob was on keyboards, but I think you did you transition over to keyboards at some point, and Bob was out or yeah, there there was a point where. Um, because you said there was like six members originally, and then yeah, it, was it was down to four, and then like, wh- can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, okay, because volume had Chris on drums, um, which was always the mainstay, I think, right? Like Chris was the guy. Chris is the guy. Yeah, he's always been there on drums. Um, they as had- a drummer, by the way, I love his fucking style. Yeah, I really do. Simple yes. but effective. Such a behind-the-beat When I started jamming with those guys, Bob was playing keyboards, and I was playing piano. So there were two. Oh. I was a piano player. That's all I played was the digital piano, where he played the synthesizers. So he was the synth sounds, all the, um, you know, string sounds, all the, uh, he, um, virtual, you know, like horns, all the, and then yeah, I, yeah. and I was. And they were like, I became kind of like the main songwriter of the band, and all those guys just kind of joined me on top of my songs, and we just formed volume, volume, which was huge. It was like there's six of us, and we used to have these jam parties, and everyone would come over and play these songs made up, and this is where all of a sudden. Um, life took a turn for all of us um we were all very excited i think we were all um a little overwhelmed moving too fast let's say what was this what was the start of time yeah stardom yeah what was the span of time lee like in all this was this like a year or two years probably um it was 2000 and was it 2005 and yeah it was probably a couple years it didn't take long for us to uh to uh get to that point as a band and um we were we all were just so hot-headed and so excited and everyone was partying and uh i don't know we really wanted to go pro and this is when Chris and Alfie, they sat down with me. They wanted to have a meeting in regards to my buddy Al on bass. Because, and 
they they took me aside and they said, hey, you know, we really think going forward we should replace Al. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I thought to myself, okay, well, what are we going to do? Because, um, you know, Al's not going to like to hear that right when we're about to go Toronto and record the album, we're going to give him the boot. I said, I don't know how I'm going to tell him. And I, Chris, Chris said, you know, let's just have a band meeting and let's just lay it on the table. So we, we got together as a band and Chris and Alfie and I told Al that we're going to let him go. And he was upset. He was furious. And uh, I think that brought a lot of negativity into the, the, the going forward, um, we kind of lost our motivation because of the negative outcome. Um, we tried to get together with Jay Sutton on base. Jay was playing with Alfie at the time in um, the Buttermilk Five. It, it, it didn't work out. We tried jamming, and it, the, the 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 spark was gone. And 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 I think at that point things just kind of all of a sudden our weekends getting together every weekend started diminished only once every couple of weeks. Next thing you know, we weren't jamming anymore, and the band kind of fell apart. And it was too bad. Because looking back now, both Chris and Alfie, we we both we 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 look at that now and go, and that was a stupid mistake. We were hot-headed, we thought we were, our shit don't stink, and we should have just taken what we had and went with it. So it was um, it was too bad that that um, that it didn't uh, we didn't actually follow through with that trip to Toronto and um, and then um, and then I had a stroke. So oh, at that time. No, not at that time. Oh. Um, but that happened next in my life, so. Holy shit. He was the voice of outrage, I think, you know, that speaks in, inside of all of us about having to hold back, having to be socially acceptable.
So, I've I, I've always been trying to uh, figure out the chronology in my in my head for this. Yeah. So, I saw that Volume was playing, and I can't remember where it was, but I saw that Volume was playing, and I was all excited uh, because I saw you guys as the Amazing Spider Band, and I saw you as Volume after, and I'm like, holy, like holy shit, like these guys are really good. Um, and then I went to go see a Volume show, and you weren't singing at that show. No, it was Matt Budlowski. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, so, like, yeah. <laughs> I was supremely confused because I'm, I'm, I was a big Leaderhouse fan, and then Vanderveen after that, and yeah, yeah, and then you know the Blackout, uh, was it the Blackout City Kids? I think uh, his other project was called. But I was yeah. a big Matthew Budo fan, and I'm like, what the like? I don't, I never got a chance to see Leaderhouse, yeah. and all of a sudden he's fronting Volume. Yeah. And you could tell he didn't want to be there. He just yeah. didn't work. It was it was really twisted. Um, after um, the band lost uh, the original four members, when we lost our morale and the band fell apart, it was myself who I stopped jamming with them. So Chris said, "Well, um, he knew of." Um, leader house and he knew of Matt and said Matt you're a great singer uh, why don't you come down and l see if you want to sing our songs so Matt came down and started learning all my songs and it was weird like to to hear all of a sudden I heard about the volume show and you were there too I was were there. you not okay because yeah. I saw you and I'm like oh he's why aren't you going up I remember I was all confused yeah, originally um, they they had a show. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? They're my songs, and I got to go see them do my songs. I just had to go and see it. I can understand that. I <laughs> can totally I, understand that. You know, so I just, you know, I, I totally appreciated the, the, the what Matt Bartolowski did. Um, 
he's a fantastic singer and he uh, he did a great job of um, reproducing what I was doing. But it was just like you said, it was he Matt really wasn't didn't look like he was really into it and it was a little synthetic. And um and I remember when I was at that pyramid show, Chris came up to me between sets or something and said, Lee, I want you gotta come up and sing a song. I was just like, Well, that's just weird because now <laughs> you know So I said, Okay, well call me up, I'll do one song and I came up and I did Time to Go Home, which was a super, super slow. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. I, it and was I'm great. like, okay, so from an audience perspective, the yeah. audience is going, what the fuck is going on here? It was supremely confusing. It was very confusing. I remember I got up on stage and um, only the, and I remember seeing all these girls sitting cross-legged front and center on the dance floor for this, like, all of a sudden it became, like, this up and close inti- inti- uh, intimate show. Yes, yeah. One song. And, um, and it was touching. And uh, the fact that Chris was always so willing to try and make this work, firing people and, and introducing new members and then firing people and then introducing new members, it just became so unpredictable the the project was just like how can you follow this you don't know what was going to happen next um at this point the new meanies were they were um nominated for a juno yep the junos were happening in i believe yeah it was in toronto at this time and they were all gonna fly out because they were nominated um and chris decided he was gonna take volume with Matt Badalowski on vocals to um, oh yeah they got a gig at the Horseshoe Tavern okay yeah during the during the Junos I don't know how it happened but they did and uh, and then Chris contacted said Lee I mean these are your songs you should come with us and I was just like like okay but I'm not playing and they're like just come come as be a part of the team be a be a part of the band as the songwriter and and come to the junos with us and i thought okay so i bought a ticket and uh flew out to the junos with the new volume with matt badalowski on vocals and watched them perform and at the horseshoe tavern and um who else was on the bill that night it was the new meanies um uh, Deco Jones. That's who else was. Playing. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So anyway, it was a big. It was it was cool to be in Toronto, and it was cool to be um, right in the midst of the Junos. And, and uh, so we were there for the weekend, and they did their showcase, and then um, and then we came home. At that point, uh, I don't know. It's like it, it. They just didn't continue. Um, Back here in Winnipeg with Matt on vocals, the band kind of stopped playing, and and I was um, doing stuff at home with my own music, and and um, and uh, it fell apart at that point. Um, I still okay, so let's so let's so I was going to say, can we yeah. cap it off here sure. and like take this up on a different day? 
sure. where the connection is a bit better. And I, th- I think it's a good good transition point. Are you okay to come back again? Absolutely. Yeah, and then we'll see. Uh, Sweet. Uh, we'll cap it off. And that was our interview with Lee Philbert. Bucket hitch. Volume. And a host of others, including Squash. Hope you enjoyed it. We're hoping to do a second one uh, as soon as possible because this was a lot of fun. See you guys on the flip side.